Luke, you, my brother, way overachieved. I did. Yes, you did. And the like you have. I speak as one who also way overachieved. Um, I've been asked to share tonight a, a message entitled, You Are Not Disqualified, which is in keeping with much of what's already been shared. So evidently the Lord wants to emphasize a few things tonight. And we'll see where He wants to take us. I want to tend to just a couple of things uh, before we do, though. Um, many of you in Communitas know... Uh, uh, Debbie, uh, my wife of 30 years, and I have one girl and four boys, and you know our daughter, Rachel. And on September 6th, I had the privilege of preaching at her wedding uh, to Bert Manhalter in Spearfish Canyon in South Dakota. And they are going to be here on Thanksgiving, and they would like to extend an open invitation to all of Communitas to come to a reception on Saturday, November 29th. Uh, it'll be at Debbie's in my house from 2 to 5 p.m. And I'll email maybe all the info to one of the, the Alicia's and they can bring it here with like address and and that whole kind of thing. But Rachel would love to, to see some of you there and show off her new husband. And, and uh, to those who don't know her, she would love to have you come so she could meet you or they would love to have you come. Any more uh, newbies? So they could uh, meet you. Um, a couple of things. Uh, I, I was at Paul's house for a meeting of pastors. Was it just last Thursday? My how time flies. Um, and sometimes when we're worshiping, the Lord gives me a sense of what He wants to do uh, in the group and in prayer. And some things that were coming to mind for me uh, as we worship tonight. And we'll have opportunity to perhaps pray about these later. Uh, but I had a sense that tonight some of you are going to be delivered. Uh, there's, there's some of you who have been under a weight and you haven't been real sure what that weight is. Uh, you've kind of been beating, not kind of, you have been beating yourself up thinking it's you, uh, but it's not you. Uh, you've been being oppressed uh, and, and harassed by something demonic, and so some of you are going to be delivered of that tonight. Some of you are going to have uh, bonds broken that have just been holding you back. Uh, there's definitely going to be the impartation of forgiveness. I think that was the first yeah. word through. Uh, came through Clint tonight, and some of you are going to have toxic shame burnt away. Uh, hey, Dan, I wonder if you'd be here. Hi, buddy. Um, he invited me, so I want to make sure. Hi, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. God love you. <laughs> um, I remember uh, being in California last time. Christiana and I saw one another. We were out in California, and uh, I was at Huntington Beach, and there was such a heavy fog. Uh, that had come in, you could stand on the beach and not see the waves crashing on the ocean. You could be that close and not see it. And then the sun came and began to burn uh, the clouds, burn the fog away, and that picture came back to mind tonight that some of you have been carried, uh, carrying a load of toxic shame. It's not, it's not uh, the, the conviction and the sense of guilt we rightly carry or feel when we have sinned. And God is, is convicting us, not condemning us, but convicting us so He can set us free. This is something heavy that, that the enemy is continuing to hook you with, to keep you from living full, more fully into the destiny God has for you. Uh, we have an enemy. You have an enemy. He is very real. Uh, when, when Jesus talks about the enemy in John chapter 10, amongst other places, verse 10, when He gives us the enemy's job description to steal and to kill and to destroy, that's not metaphorical language. That's very literal language. You you have an enemy. You have, There is a devil. He does have demons. He does not like God whatsoever. 
And if you can't hurt the parent, you go after the kids. If you want to hurt me, if you want to hurt Debbie, go after one of our kids. You'll hurt us much worse than if you'd gone directly after us. And uh, this enemy uh, yeah, schemes to steal from you. He wants to steal any sense of joy you have in the Lord. He wants to steal any sense of destiny you have in the Lord. He wants to steal any sense of passion that you have in the Lord. In the Lord, He wants to destroy any healthy relate any and every healthy relationship you have, including your relationship with the Lord. And He would, if He could, literally want to kill you. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. So toxic shame is going to be burnt away. The other thing before I get to the message is young Ben from China here. You were sitting here earlier tonight. You were sitting here. You have glasses. And there, you had a blue shirt on. Is that Ben still here? I think he left. I think Ben might have left. Did he leave? Doggone. Okay, here's the picture I got for Ben. And so you all follow up on this, okay? Uh, ben was asking for more of the Holy Spirit as he sat here and prayed and asked that the Lord would give him the Holy Spirit to be obedient to God's word for him. And I saw a picture, and some of you were gathering around Ben and praying for him. And you were praying for him to be filled afresh with the Spirit, or maybe initially. I, I don't know if he's been baptized in the, the Holy Spirit or not. And as some of you prayed for him, things just began to stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and stir in him. And they just exploded as, as like a geyser. And a, a geyser of language came forth. And I, I don't know if it was Chinese, English, or it was a tongue. And some of you around Ben who are praying for him have never prayed for somebody to be filled with the Spirit before. So if any of you happen to remember that picture, next time Ben's here, uh, or in fact, I'll try to, if you remind me, Paul, or somebody or Matt, or somebody reminds me, I'll write it down. And then uh, gather some of you around Ben who have never prayed for somebody to be filled with the Spirit before, because God wants to do something in you too. He wants to release new faith, new boldness in, in you. And, and I, it, it wasn't, Tim wasn't in the picture, none, neither of the alleys were in the picture. Uh, Matt wasn't in the picture, Clint wasn't in the picture. Paul, you definitely weren't in the picture. <laughs> Um, but pe people who have not prayed so for that before, love. and so I, I dare you to actually do that and see what. In fact, I double dog dare you. So. Okay, now I'm supposed to press this, or did I already you, started it. You already started it. Okay, um, you are not disqualified. Uh, this is a message that flows out of a life experience. Well, first and foremost, out of scripture and also out of a life experience for me. I want to set the context for you. Uh, the context is a life message that the Lord began to impregnate me with in the early 1990s. And that life message, something I'm extremely passionate about, in addition to being passionate about the Lord, <coughs> about my wife and my five kids and Duke basketball, <laughs> in my life, thank you, I see that, I see that glory wave. <laughs> Okay. Um, only we could love the Duke Blue Devils. You know. Anyway, uh, something I'm very passionate about is helping the church rediscover what it means to be a safe place for the dangerous kind. Hmm. A safe place for the dangerous kind. I just did a dangerous kind seminar this last weekend down in Hampton, Iowa. I would love to see myself and all of us continued to be stirred to be a dangerous kind of Christian. That would seem to beg the question, well, can you be a Christian and not be the dangerous kind? 
And I think one of the answers that Scripture gives us in amongst other places, Revelation chapter 3, as the angel is speaking to the Laodicean church, is yes, you can. You can be lukewarm. You can have an assurance of your salvation. You can be going to heaven, no questions about it, but you can be living life in this world in a lukewarm manner. And I want to see a stirred to be a dangerous kind. I want to see a stirred to be dangerous for the kingdom of God. Dangerous to the dark dominion. Glorifying God in such a way that we're ki- at the same time we're kicking at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The dangerous kind. But in order to be the dangerous kind, we need a safe place. We need a place that's so safe we can dare to be real and authentic. We need a place that's so safe we could dare to ask questions that seem almost, well, in fact, not almost, they're heretical. And we can give voice to doubts we have about God, and we can give voice to struggles we have with God and not be shamed for it. A place that's so real or authentic and authentic that we could bring into the light things we've hidden in the darkness and we've never given voice to before, ever. And as we do, then God's able to transform it and transform us into the dangerous kind. The message, uh, you are not disqualified, flows out of that context. You and I growing in being a safe place. For the dangerous kind. I pray for you, Communitas, that you will continue your journey in growing and discovering and becoming increasingly a safe place for one another. And let me let me quickly be sure to say a couple things about a safe place. A safe place will not always feel safe. The feelings won't always be there because part of being a safe place is that we dare to speak truth to one another. And truth, no matter how lovingly it's delivered, no matter how much we pay attention to the timing in which we deliver it, no, ma- no matter how much we season it with grace, it still stings. And at that given moment, it won't feel safe. And another thing I want to make sure to say to you is that once you set your hearts on being a safe place, you will fail. You will fail. You will let each other down. Ben, you're going to let your wife down. You may have already. <laughs> and in 30 or 40 years, she might let you down once. <laughs> but even then, our God is so amazing that He takes what seems to be a failure and actually makes that the place where He teaches us more and more what it means to be a safe place and where He actually transforms us as we humble ourselves and say, I blew it. Please forgive me. A safe place for the dangerous kind. I get to to travel from time to time in both my function as president of of Master's Institute and in working with Paul in the Alliance of Renewal Churches. And so I'm on airplanes a lot. And you get to meet a lot of people. You get to meet people who work in the airports. You get to meet other passengers when you're sitting around waiting for a plane or when your plane has been canceled due to uh, technical difficulties or when you're waiting for your luggage that just got lost or whatever. Or you get a chance to talk to flight attendants or other passengers on the plane. And once you get past the small talk, hi, I'm Mike from Minneapolis, and who are you? And once you get past that small talk, you, you, you need another question to kind of keep the discussion going. 
if you choose to, to talk with somebody. And I don't always. Sometimes I just want to be alone. I'm, I'm tired and, and whatnot. But sometimes, well, even when I'm tired, the Lord may kind of prod and say, I want you to talk to this person. And you need a question to ask. And my first attempts at next questions to keep the discussion going weren't very successful. Like uh, the, uh, the, the uh, gal I asked on the flight to Atlanta, um, Miss So and So, you know, if this if this plane took off now and in five minutes we <laughs> fell to a fiery death, do you know for sure if you'd go to heaven or not? She didn't engage, <laughs> and the conversation didn't keep going quite the way I hoped. I actually didn't do that. I'm just. Being silly. But you know what I mean. Sometimes you ask really awkward questions that just kind of shut down a conversation instead of keep it keep it going. And, and so I, I really did begin to think, what would be a question I could ask? And here's the question that I heard. It's, it's not original with me, and I don't remember where I heard it. But once I heard it, I knew this is a question I want to ask people. So here it is. The question is, if it were true, <coughs> if it were true, what in the world would be the best news for you? If it were true, what in the world would be the best news for you? And it's interesting to hear some of the answers. I mean, you hear everything from, no matter what country you're in, uh, the best news in all the world for me, if it were really true, is that I'd win the lottery. Yeah. There's a lottery everywhere. It doesn't matter how poor a country is or we think it is. There's a lottery everywhere. That would be the best news in all the world for me. Uh, it's not unusual to hear somebody say... Um, the best news in all the world for me would be that somebody I love would be healed of a sickness or a disease. Uh, who were we praying for? Was it your dad, Bill, we were praying for? I'm, I'm just coming back from another trip to Wisconsin last weekend where we prayed for somebody to be healed of cancer. She went in for a scan and it was gone. So let's just keep praying for Bill. Okay. For that, for that healing. So he can see the angels that God has put in his room to keep him company. Um, uh, some people uh, say, well, the best news in, in the world for me, if it were really true, and I've actually had this said to me, what would have been for my dad to really love me? That would be the best world uh, news in all the world for me, if it were really true. And then I hear this, and usually I hear this from Christians. Because you, as you start out, you're doing small talk, and once I, you know, hi, you're Mike, and you're from Minneapolis, where do you work? Oh, you work at a seminary, and you travel with pastors. Oh, okay. Well, they know you're a Christian, and, and sometimes you find out then that, oh, well, I'm a Christian too. You know, and, and then you continue the discussion. At that point, what I hear from a number of Christians who, who if they dare to be honest, they say this, in one form or another, they say this, the best news in all the world for me, if it were really true, would be that I was no longer disqualified. And when you begin to ask, well, well, what do you mean? And they begin to unpack their story. And they begin to share with you a story in which they had and they experienced the most foolish, selfish, and sinful moment in all their lives. And they have been living ever since then, believing that it was so foolish, so selfish, and so sinful that certainly they must be disqualified from really being loved by God or really having the opportunity to once again serve Him in any significant way. 
or as you hear their story, it's this. The best news in all the world for me, if it's really true, would be that I was no longer disqualified because of what has been done to me. Hmm. Some have had terrible, terrible things done to them. They have had the most foolish, selfish, and sinful moment of someone else's life inflicted upon them. And now they feel like they're damaged goods. And that, yes, God loves me, but not really. I mean, He loves me, but, but uh, not as much as He loves Joe. Joe, right? Not as much as He loves Joe. He really loves Joe. Because Joe plays sure. drums. <laughs> and Joe obviously loves God. Uh, so he really loves Joe, but he can't really love me. Or, because of what's been done to me, because of that foolish, selfish, and sinful moment that someone else inflicted upon me, certainly I'm disqualified from really serving God in some significant way. And tonight, I just want to say to you, in the name of Jesus, that you are not disqualified. You are not disqualified. Beloved, circling back to something I said earlier, we have an enemy. And amongst his names, one is that he's the father of all lies. And one of his schemes is to lie, to lie in our self-talk, to lie in what others say to us, to lie even through how the Word of God at times is preached today mm -hmm. by people who have gone to seminaries and should know better, we think, but they no longer handle the Word of God as a workman who needs not be ashamed, mm -hmm. rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And they preach the Word and they lie. Satan's been doing this from the very beginning. It's nothing new. He's, 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 he's certainly an enemy to be respected and to be on guard against, but he's not very creative. His strategies have been the same since the beginning, since Genesis, since Adam and Eve. Lie and shame. Lie to them and then hook them with shame as they believe and begin to believe the lie. Um, a few years ago, Debbie and I were up in uh, Duluth. Uh, I, I wish Debbie could have been here tonight. She, she's working. I'd love to have those of you who haven't met her yet uh, meet her. Uh, because next to Jesus, she is my safe place. Jesus is the only one who will always be your safe place. But as far as human goes, she's pretty close. <laughs> and um, we were up in Duluth and, and seeing the leaves turn colors and all that, you know, and saw big ships coming into the locks and, and all that, which was really cool. And we were walking downtown Duluth and we saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car that I think is really apropos for us. And on the bumper sticker it said, don't believe everything you think. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> don't believe everything you think, because not everything you think is from the Lord. Not everything you think is from you. Hmm. One of the ways the enemy can speak to us is even through our own thought life and through our own self-talk. So one of the first things I want us to know tonight as we talk about this thing that, uh, of, of not being disqualified is that you do have an enemy. He does want to steal, kill, and destroy. He does want to keep you from living fully into the destiny God has for you. He does want to keep you from experiencing the adventure God has for you. He does want to keep you from the joy that God does want to give you in life. He does want to keep you from the comfort and, and the enduring power of the Spirit that will carry you through incredibly difficult times in a world that will not welcome you or the message that you bring. 
And he wants to keep you from all of that. And so he will lie to you and try to convince you that you are disqualified. There are some of you here tonight who feel that way. And the Lord's going to set you free tonight. Praise God. Now the Bible is full of examples of men and women who thought they were disqualified or certainly should have been if this line of thinking from the enemy is true. Abraham and Sarah lied repeatedly. Jacob and his mother lied and deceived. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law. Samson had serious anger and lust issues. Moses murdered. David murdered and committed adultery. And then there was Peter. What do you do with a guy like Peter? Peter was impetuous and he was foolish in his actions and speech. Peter wanted to maintain the status quo and not move on with God on the Mount of Transfiguration. He has this great Holy Ghost goosebump experience and Jesus says it's time now to move on and Peter wants to stay right there. <laughs> not moving on and maintaining the status quo in churches is nothing new. Peter invented it. <laughs> Peter was so impetuous and foolish that at times his words reflected the intent of the enemy and not of the Lord, so much so that the Lord had to rebuke him. <laughs> Peter resorts to unwarranted violence. He cuts off uh, someone's ear and then asks, Can you hear me now? <laughs> now <laughs> parenthetical comment. Parenthetical comment for those of you who may go on and find preaching. One of your colleagues is like, Know your audience. I was in Tucson, Arizona three years ago preaching mainly to gray-haired people. And they didn't get that. <laughs> so know, know, your, know your audience. Peter. And in the end, don't you know, I mean, Peter, then he denies Jesus three times after saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you, Lord. And then he does it three times. Don't you know that Peter not only felt guilty, but he felt ashamed. And I know he did because he did what you and I do when we often feel ashamed. He goes back to his old way of life. When we let the Lord down, when we let one another down, when we feel ashamed, often we just retreat and say, that's it for me. I must be disqualified. I'll just go back to living the way I used to live. And Peter does that and he goes back to fishing, right? In John 21, we, we read that story. And there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. For heaven's sakes, in the state of Minnesota, I'm certainly not going to make that <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman unless you've been called to be an apostle. Jesus is so cool. I love Jesus. I, I love Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I, I love... Jesus incarnate as a human being for so many reasons. One was what happens in this story with Peter. Jesus doesn't even wait for Peter to repent. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to call out to him. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to jump through the ecclesiastical religious hoops we think you have to jump through in order to truly be forgiven. Jesus takes the initiative and goes to him. And he restores him. Around a charcoal fire. 
Remember, it's around a fire. Peter denied him, right? Mm -hmm. Three denials. Three questions. Peter, do you love me? Pretty interesting symmetry, huh? And Jesus takes the initiative to restore Peter into the fullness of his relationship with the Lord and into his destiny. You see, beloved, one of the things we, we read in that story is that God is for us and against anything that would harm us. And what we also see in that story is the amazing, the outrageous, the over-the-top grace and love of God. God's love is so amazing. His grace is so outrageous. No, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. There's even a parable Jesus tells about that, right? About the workers yeah. in the field and the, they all come at different times of the day, but they all get the same amount of money and the, the outcry is, that's not fair. We can, and we do the same thing. God, that's not fair. And you, you, forgive, you forgive Kate for that big thing and... And, and But Clint just had a little thing and you gave him both the same forgiveness and the same restoration. Yeah, I've heard stories, Kate. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think. No, I'm kidding. You haven't even heard that. <laughs> That's uh, actually what I've been hearing, sister. God's grace is so much more amazing than that song. Amazing grace. I mean, it's just incredible. And never in my life was I more thankful for the amazing grace of God than I was in the life of my oldest son. Debbie and I have, uh, as I mentioned, five kids. We have four boys and one girl. Andrew Michaels, 28. Joseph Ross is 27. Rachel Christine Manhalter is 25. Stephen Daniels, 22. And Benjamin John, our budding author, is 20. And... Um, we named our firstborn son Andrew because we felt we had a prophetic word from God that he was going to lead people to Jesus. And whenever you look in the New Testament, Andrew's always leading somebody to Jesus. And one of my favorite authors was uh, the South African theologian uh, Andrew Murray, and who's just a wonderful, uh, wonderful author now with the Lord, but his writings live on. And so we named Andy Andrew, Andrew Michael. And uh, and he did lead many people to faith in Christ. The first person he led to faith in Christ was his brother Joe, our second born. Andrew was five, Joe was three. Andrew, as he got older, but even as a little boy, was tall and thin, with red hair, red freckles, had a beautiful singing voice, had a wonderful sense of comedic timing, was an actor, was on his way to NYU for acting school after a senior year. Uh, Joe was short and stout, uh, and even when he was young, he had these just humongous, Clint, you'd love this, he had these humongous eyes. <laughs> he, I'm not intimating that you have humongous eyes. Let me try to get you out of this hall. Where I'm going with that is he wanted to be an all-conference linebacker. <laughs> That's where I was going with that. So, so, he, so he's this all-conference linebacker, all-conference baseball player, was on his way to uh, college with a baseball scholarship in Arizona before he blew his arm. So he's, they're different, but they're best friends, and they share a bedroom their entire lives, and they're homeschooled in our home. And I mean, they're just 
two different young guys, but they just love each other. And and Joe was a towhead, just blonde, bright blonde hair, and and tans like in a minute, like my wife does, which is not fair. <laughs> and, and Andy was like me; he could burn in an instant, and, and uh, that's why I have to wear hats now. And so they're, uh, he's five, and Joe's three, and we're driving somewhere in a, a beautiful, beautiful. 1965 mint condition red cherry Mustang convertible. I now drive a Hyundai. But we're going somewhere in this convertible and a funeral procession cuts in front of us so we have to stop and Andrew's in the front seat beside me. Joe's back here kind of where you're at right here. And it was sitting kind of just like you, like that. And, and Andrew says, well, Dad, what's going on? And I said, well, somebody's died, and they're going to bury the body, and, and they're sad because they're going to miss this person. And, and this little five-year-old thought about it for a minute, and he looked up at me and said, well, Dad, if they're Christians, shouldn't they be happy because they're going to get to see this person again? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I said, well, yeah, that's true, son. But, but even Christians, when somebody first dies, we're, we're still sad because we don't get to see them now. And we're going to have to wait. And so sometimes we're kind of sad. He thought about that for a little bit. Then he looked up at me and said, Dad, are we Christians? And I said, well, let me tell you what a, a Christian is, and, and then you tell me. And basically I just quoted Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and added a few other things to it from other places in the Scriptures. And I said, well, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, a Christian is someone who believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He actually came to the earth and lived a perfect life and died for our sins. And, but then he rose again, and because he rose again and defeated the devil, now we can have eternal life when we ask him into our hearts. And he, he thought for a minute, and he said, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I be, believe he came to earth, and I believe he lived a perfect life and he died for my sins, and I believe he defeated death and the devil, uh, but I've never asked him into my heart. Could I do that right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course. And I was ready to lead him in a prayer, but before I could, this little five-year-old bowed his head full of sand and said, Dear Jesus, Praise God. Son of God, I believe Praise you the came Lord. to earth and oh, awesome. life and you died for my sins. And then he prays this, and I believe you beat up the devil. <laughs> Come into my heart and be my Savior. Amen. Oh. And then he looks up at me with his uh, hand, the greatest smile. He looks at me with this great smile and says, Dad, I'm a Christian. Oh. I said, I know, son. I, I heard you pray. And he turns around, to looks at his brother Joe and says, Joe, I'm a Christian. Now you got to become one. <laughs> Now remember, Joe's got, it's like baby Clint, right? Joe, no, Joe's got these big thighs and these big arms, and he folds them and he goes, no. And that's exactly the voice he said it in. It wasn't his normal voice, he just went, no. And then I said, Andy, that's okay, so that's okay. Well, the funeral procession was gone, and we started driving on. I can see Joe in my rear view mirror, and a few minutes down the road, I see and I hear this. Dear Jesus. <laughs> I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to earth and lived a perfect life. I believe you died for my sins, and, and I believe you beat up the devil, too. 
Please come into my heart. Be my Savior too. Amen. <laughs> Three years old. And But his arms still folding like this because I can see him in the room. I hear this and she missed Dad. I said, yeah, Joe. I'm a Christian too. <laughs> I know. I heard. And, uh, he said, Dad, I got a question. And I said, Sure, son. What is it? <laughs> Jesus is in my heart now, right? I said, You bet. You bet. Well, if I take a drink of water, will his head get wet? buddy theologian that I was and, and growing in wisdom as I was, I simply said, ask your mom when we get home. <laughs> Andy uh, led many other children and then teenagers to faith in Christ. And loved, he loved on kids. I, I was a youth pastor, by the way, for 20-some years. He loved on kids I could never get close to, that I just couldn't connect with. And he had an ability to to be so real and authentic, it, it challenged me and, and made him beloved to people who didn't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, so on his 18th birthday, we were playing this huge blowout, kind of like tonight with all these people. We had 100 people come into our house in Rapid City for his, his 18th birthday party. We, we lived in Rapid City, South Dakota for 16 years. And so I was shaving the next morning. <coughs> And uh, thinking, wow, this, this is going to be a good day. And as I was right in the middle of shaving, I heard a blood-curdling scream downstairs. And it was my son, Joe. And I thought he jammed his hand in the door, you know, something, or hit his head on the bunk bed getting out of there. I mean, 16, 18 years old, they were still sleeping in bunk beds. Um, and I ran downstairs, and, and as you, we had split-level homes, you came down one flight of stairs, you turned and went down another flight, and you went straight ahead. There were rooms on the other side, but there was a bathroom right there. And Joe had opened the bathroom door and found Andy, who had hung himself during the night. On the morning of my son's 18th birthday, my oldest son, my son who loved Jesus, my son who led numerous people to faith in Jesus, I held his cold, stiff body that was being hung to the doorknob by a scarf. And to this day, we don't know what happened. To this day, we don't know if it was an intentional suicide or an accident gone very bad. We don't know if it was an intentional suicide or he had uh, experimented with a practice called autoerotic asphyxiation, which was rampant in the Black Hills at that time amongst young people. has been around since the Middle Ages, a way of getting high and getting a buzz and tying the knot in such a way that when you lose consciousness, your body slumps forward, the knot comes undone, your body drops to the ground and you wake up the next day ready to go on with living unless you don't tie the knot correctly. We read his journal, he journaled. We looked on his computer, we interviewed his friends, his teachers, Every adult who knew him, and to this day, and I re-interviewed them probably every year 
for three or four years thinking that well maybe one of them had just been holding back some information but you know maybe now they feel safe enough to share it and to this day we don't know and it's we're 10 years down the road now to this day we don't know it was the most horrific day of my life and the days that followed I never knew I could cry from such a deep place I didn't know I had a place that deep that day as I held my son's body I remember crying out, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you break my heart? In the subsequent days, I had to do something I never thought I'd do. I, I did over 30 funerals a year in my position as a pastor at this church in Black Hills. Fortunately, I also did over 50 baptisms a year, so it kind of helped weigh things out. But I'd done over 30 funerals a year for 10 years, and now I had to do something I never thought I'd do, and that's plan my own son's funeral and arrange for my own son's burial. Even, well, let me back up a step. There is a mystery there is a paradox that in this world we experience both the victory of Jesus and we experience hardship and tribulation. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Being a Christian is not an exempt free card from hardship and from pain. But even in the worst of our pain, our God is good. Our God's name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the three days following my son's death, God was with us. And he sent us three messengers. The first was a good friend of mine named Joe Johnson, a good friend of Paul's. Some of you may have may know or have uh, been you know, Joe. Uh, and some of you may have seen him at the Holy Spirit Conference. A pastor who at that time was down in Sholo, Arizona. And one of my two best friends in all the world. And he called me, and he was in tears because he couldn't get a flight there. The, 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 the sudden flights for a non-family member were just astronomical in cost. And Joe has never been one who's made a lot of money on his, this pastoring gig he's got. And he was just heartbroken that he couldn't be with us. And he was crying. I said, that, Joe, you know, that's okay. We're going to see each other in a couple of months. And I, I know you and Judy, his, his wife, will be with us in prayer. And he said, well, Mike, before I go, though, can I share a picture with you? Now, Joe is the kind of guy, for, for those of you, I, I don't want to assume something here. Um, we, we still have a God who speaks to us today. And he speaks to us in a number of different ways. He speaks to us through his written word, of course. He also speaks to us through spiritual gifts, like a gift of prophecy, a, gift of speaking in tongue and interpretation, a word of knowledge. He speaks in visions and dreams to some people. Well, Joe, he used to speak to Joe. One of the ways was through pictures, and Joe had a proven track record. So whenever Joe would say, I got a picture, I, you know, I listened, because he, he has a built-in movie screen on the inside of his forehead. And God projects pictures up there and, and uh, to speak to Joe. And in the picture was Andy. And... Over to the side was God and an angel, and God was saying to the angel, I want you to go be with him. And the angel was saying, is, but is this your will for him? And God said, no, it's not my will for him. 
but the why and wherefore of what he's done is covered under the blood of my son. And I don't want him to be alone at the time of his death. Go with him and take his hand and bring him into my presence. So Joe shared that. We hung up the phone. We'd agreed we'd see each other in a couple months. And five minutes later, I get another call. And this calls from Gospel Man. This calls from a guy named Al Jacobson, a, a, an older Lutheran pastor who was on staff at my church. And every time he preached, you heard the gospel. So we called out Gospel Man. And Al said, Mike, could you come down to the church right away? And I said, well, sure. I, I'd asked Al to preach the message at Andy's memorial because I knew we were going to have a lot of people. See, Andy knew people throughout the community and I knew, in fact, we knew we couldn't hold it in our church so the local middle school let us use their auditorium and, and a couple days later over 1,500 people gathered. And I knew there were going to be not yet Christians there so I knew the gospel had to be proclaimed so I knew gospel man had to be the one who did the sermon. And he said, I think God's given me something to share as part of the message but I want to read it to you before, uh, so, so you don't hear it for the first time in public. I said, sure, and I just lived 10 minutes from the church, so I drove over, and, and uh, he said, I've written it down, and, and, and I have a copy of it still right here, and he said, let me read it to you. So reading from Al Jacobson's sermon, God called an angel to himself and said, I have a child who's made a very foolish, selfish mistake. He's going to die too soon, and I want you to go to him and be with him at the moment of his death and bring him home to me. I'm not sure I understand, the angel said. Is it his time to die? No, replied God. He's made a choice that's against my will and plan for his life. The things I've ordained for Andy to accomplish in life will go undone. His choice will hurt everyone who knows him. But God, said the angel, if his choice is going to hurt so many, why would he make that choice? I know his heart, said God, and if Andy had known how his choice would wound others, he never would have made that choice. But I can't remember the why of his choice because it's covered over and paid for with the suffering and death and blood of my son Jesus. Now go. I don't want him to be alone. I asked Al, have you talked with Joe? Because <laughs> he knew Joe. He said, no, I haven't talked to Joe for months. Why? And I shared my conversation with Joe and the picture he had and it was almost verbatim the story that God had given Al. And I thought, man, God, you've got my attention. Now, I'm kind of slow, though. I'm kind of slow. So God knows he needs to about something really important, like the Yankees getting back to the World Series next week. He has to speak to me at least three times. And so I get home, and I walk in the house on the landing. Again, there's stairs going down and stairs going up, not to hell and heaven, but to downstairs, upstairs. And the bathroom's down there. And my mother-in-law had come to be with us. And my mother-in-law is such a neat Christian woman. At that particular point in her life, however, she was in a stage where she admits to herself, now she was seeing a demon behind every bush. So if you had a cold and some snot was rolling down your, 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 your lip, you had the demon of snot. <laughs> I actually had a lady try to cast a demon of snot out of me once. I just let the demon jump from me to her. <laughs> anyway, she she uh, she admits at that point in time she blamed everything on the devil. Now the devil certainly is our enemy, but we don't want to give him credit for everything. But. 
So she comes up the stairs and she says, Michael Ross. I thought, oh, good Lord, both names. <laughs> I'm in trouble when she uses the first and the middle name. And, and I said, yes, Myrtle. And she, um, Myrtle Lou, Myrtle Louise. Yeah, sure, Norwegian. <laughs> Maybe eat Ludafisk after I married her daughter. Um, she said, what have you done to that bathroom? And I said, well, we haven't done anything to the bathroom. Why? And she said, I was just down there, and I looked around, and it's completely empty, but yet there's there's a fragrance there. And the only way I can describe it is angelic. And I was looking around for potpourri or something like that, and I didn't see any. And have you sprayed anything there? And I said, no, we haven't gone near the bathroom since Andy died. Okay, God. You've got my attention. What he told me that night, again, for those who may be new to this, when God spoke to me, when he told me, in this case it was through a thought that went through my head that, that, that had a, a real weight to it. Where I knew this wasn't just my own thought. And he spoke to me and said, Mike, even in Andy's most foolish and selfish and sinful moment, I want you to know, I did not forget him. I did not abandon him, and I did not leave him alone. He is not disqualified. Beloved, either we believe in the atoning power of the cross, or we don't. And Scripture tells us there's only one sin that's not forgivable. Unforgivable, I mean. There's only one sin that's unforgivable. And no matter which choice my son made that night, that's not it. It was paid for, covered mm -hmm. by the blood and the death of Jesus on the cross. So that even in our most foolish, selfish, and sinful moments, God does not abandon us. God does not forget us. And God does not leave us alone. Somebody wants... Uh, it's interesting that the... the encouragement you get in the wake of something like this. People don't like pain, generally. And in their discomfort, in their own pain, at seeing you in pain, will often say things that they, they don't mean to hurt. They're just trying to help you feel better. But they don't realize the message it actually communicates or how it hits home with you. Like the guy who knocked on the door two days after my son died and a friend of mine, brother in Christ, not from my church, but from the community, just hugged me, crying, said, oh, Mike, Mike, I'm just here to encourage you and Debbie. And I said, well, thanks, so-and-so. I really appreciate that. And he said, oh, I just want to encourage you so much. It must be terrible to have a son in hell. That's what I mean by the need for a safe place. That's not very safe. I asked him to leave and that we'd talk sometime down there. He wanted to talk to my wife and I said, no, 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 you go, you go. And you and I will have coffee down the road sometime and we'll talk, but not today. Or the people who, who meant well when they said, well, I'm so sorry that God took your son. God didn't take my son. Death took my son. And Jesus took my son from death. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This Jesus, 
following the deliberate and well thought out plan of God, was betrayed by men and took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. Death took my son. And my God took my son from death because death is no match. Mm -hmm. When we are at war with the enemy and with death, it is not a fair fight. Because we don't war in our own strength, but in the strength of our Almighty God. Now make no mistake, there's nothing romantic about what my son did, whichever choice he made. There's nothing noble about it at all. And it was completely foolish. It was selfish. And it was sinful. But the, the, the thing we can hang on to in Andy's life, and from his example, and from the Apostle Peter, and so many like them in Scripture, is that even in our most foolish, selfish, and sinful moments, our God does not abandon us, forgive, forget us, or leave us alone. Now, it'd be a lot easier for me to sit here tonight and tell you that uh, my son died in Iraq. It'd be e it wouldn't be less painful, but it'd be easier. It'd be easier for me to tell you that my son got hit by a drunk driver. wouldn't be any less painful, but it'd be easier. Why would it be easier? Because those kinds of stories don't hook our shame. Yeah. The way my son died in our culture is a shaming kind of death. And when in our foolishness, our selfishness, and our sinfulness, or in that of another that's inflicted upon us, the enemy is so despicable that even in the midst of our great pain, he still does not let up, and he enters in and he tries to hook us with our shame to keep us silent. And to keep us from proclaiming what we have in Jesus. And I, I would just encourage you tonight, this message may be some of for some of you, or it will be for someone you know now or will know someday. And one of the things that will make you a safe place is if you incarnate, if you believe, if you proclaim, if you practice the reality, the message, the hope of God, that you are not disqualified. Tonight, uh, I would just encourage you to pray, to talk with someone and to pray together. In fact, let me just slow down for just a second and let me dare to ask this. I want, I want to break this, this thing of shame, of toxic shame. So here's, I'm going to tell you what I want to ask in a minute so you can think, do I want to do this or not? Because I, I don't want you to just you know, do something in a knee-jerk fashion. Here's what I'm going to ask you in a minute. What I'm going to ask is if there's anybody here, and don't raise your hand yet, if there's anybody here who feels like you're disqualified or that you're damaged goods and that it's easy for your toxic shame to get hooked. That you've had something, that you've done something or you've had something done to you that's a very shameful thing and it's been a hindrance in your relationship with God. How many people are here in that place tonight? See your hand. Keep them up. You look around the room. We're, and the reason I'm asking you to do this is so we, we're, we're breaking the shame. No more. We're not staying quiet about this anymore. Okay? So you can put your hands down. Thanks. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your vulnerability. What a gift. Tonight, 
I would just encourage you to pray with one another, particularly to pray. Uh, we want to pray for those brothers and sisters who uh, have feel like something they've done or had done to them has been that foolish, that selfish, that sinful, that it has disqualified them. And what I'll ask you to do tonight is a couple of things. If, like my son, you did in fact do something foolish, you did something selfish, you did something sinful, if you have not yet, tonight, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Confess it out loud. What was it Jack Beer told us at the Holy Spirit Conference? If you can't speak it, it owns you. Speak it out loud. Lord, please forgive me for... And then tell Him, I want to turn away from that. I want to repent. I want to turn from that and turn to you tonight. Please forgive me. Then, those of you who are with that person, declare the forgiveness of the Lord over that person. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Declare absolution over that brother or that sister. Or, if the thing has been done to you by somebody else, here's what I'd like to ask tonight. I would like to ask you to consider forgiving that person or taking the forgiveness even deeper. Sometimes forgiveness is like peeling an onion. And you peel back one layer and you think you've dealt with it, but then you find at some point in time there's another layer. And you just need to take that forgiveness a little bit deeper. Um, uh, I would love to encourage you to forgive the person who inflicted their foolishness, their selfishness their sinfulness on you. Or at the very least, if it's too hard for you to do tonight, could you at least pray this, Lord, I would love to be willing to do that someday. If it's too hard for you tonight, could you at least pray, God, I would love someday, I really do want to be willing to forgive so-and-so. And sometimes the Lord will take it free right there for you. Other times He will bring it down the road. And so to pray and to receive God's forgiveness. And then just pray God's love and grace over these brothers and sisters if you happen to be the ones praying with them and for them. For others of you, uh, pray as the Holy Spirit leads. And, and let me suggest a couple of things you might think of praying about. Some of you need to repent of judgmentalism. We all live there sometimes. We all have the t-shirt. We all have the bumper sticker. <laughs> And we've been at times judgmental. We have been at times condemning. And let's just own it. Let's just own it for what it is. It's not a failure to confess that and ask God to forgive us. It is a failure to not own it. And let's just admit it tonight. Lord, forgive me. I, I want to be in a safe place in the best sense of that word, Lord. And I don't want to have a judgmental heart. I don't want to have a condemning heart. Would you please forgive me? And one of the reasons I encourage you to do that, because as you have that kind of heart toward others, you will have that heart double toward yourself. You will judge yourself even more harshly. You will condemn yourself even more harshly. And then you'll try to perform to get out of that condemnation judgmental cycle. And then you just get in this cycle of performance orientation and and guilt and shame and it just never ends. Others of you are going to just have things come to mind. Hey, tonight when Mike was talking, he wasn't even talking about this. I, I spaced him out for a minute and I heard God say, pray about this or pray about that and just pray about those things. Pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit. 
Pray for freedom from any kind of bondage, anything that's been holding you in bondage, whatever it might be, but especially for those of you who resonate with this message tonight. Pray about this. Beloved, in the body of Christ, there is only one sin that is unforgivable. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture is not even perfectly clear about what that is, but it must be kind of bad. <laughs> and you must have to really want to do it. In fact, if you even ask the question, I wonder if I'm blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you're probably not. If you even ask the question, that's a, that's a, a good sign. Um, in the body of Christ, there is no such thing as you are automatically disqualified. There is always hope. There is always redemption. There is always restoration that's available to us. As we walk out good and right orderly steps in our relationship with the Lord, confession, repentance, surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters who will help us walk in the path. You, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's fun being here with you, and you, um, you have an opportunity. You really have an opportunity to live out this safe place for the dangerous kind message. The prevailing stereotype of Christians, by not yet Christians and some wounded Christians in the world is that we are amongst the most hateful, condemning, and judgmental people on the face of the earth. Whether it's true or not, that is the perception of the general population of not yet Christians in our culture. Uh, we are controlling, we are homophobic, we are uh, only willing to talk to people if it will put another spiritual notch on our belt, and yada, 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 uh, which is Hebrew for so and so and so on. <laughs> oh, and we're always right, too. And we're always, we're right. always right. Yeah. And they're wrong. And yeah, exactly. The only way that stereotype is going to come down is incarnational encounter. Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth, and people like Philip and others say, Show us the Father. And he says, Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So today, when this culture says, show me a Christian, it's going to be you who they may encounter. And it may be you that they meet. And it may be you that they experience an unconditional love flowing from that they've never experienced before. It, it, it will be you. And they'll experience, they'll experience a Christian loving them just for who they are. You, you mean you'd love me whether I ever became a Christian or not? Wow, I've never met one like that before. <laughs> you, mean, you mean you just like me because you like me? You enjoy hanging out with me even though I don't go to church and don't think I ever will? You're not going to try to manipulate me and go into communitas with you on a Tuesday night? I've never met one like you before, Allie. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> Joe started it. <laughs> you did. I heard you use the C word up here tonight. <laughs> Crap, 
now I got to rethink this whole Christian thing because you just blew my stereotype. That's how this stereotype is going to come down by incarnational encounter, and that is going to make you at the same time a safe place and a very dangerous person. It's going to make you safe to the not yet Christian. The very people who in the Gospels seem to enjoy hanging out with Jesus. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, the, the, the chapter that has the prodigal son story, begins with the first two verses talking about in the New Living Translation. I love it. It says Jesus was hanging out with the notorious sinners. Not just the regular old running the mill sinners, but the notorious sinners. <laughs> Like you. <laughs> no. Am I kidding? Or is like her? No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, these people seem to, at the very least, be drawn to Jesus. Who are the ones who are repelled by Jesus in Scripture? The religious ones. It's the religious ones. It's, it's the national church leaders. It's the seminary presidents. It's the pastors. Not the youth pastors. Because youth pastors are cool. It's the pastors. It's the folks with the MDiv. Of that. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but I'm just saying, it's the ones who... who Somehow in their life they shifted from from having an authentic relationship with the Lord to, to needing to protect their power or their prestige or their position. You have an opportunity to go into a culture which, which really by and large is a post-Christian culture now in the United States. If it was ever truly Christian, it is definitely post-Christian now. And you have the opportunity to go into that culture and to incarnationally be a safe place to the very people who need it. And one of the ways that you can do that is when you have the opportunity in how you live and perhaps in talking with somebody to share with them, you are not disqualified. That abortion does not disqualify you. Your struggle with a homosexual lifestyle or feelings or even wondering if you're... It doesn't disqualify you. And you struggled with those feelings while you were a Christian. It doesn't disqualify you. The abuse you experienced at the hands of those who were meant to protect you. A father, a brother, the neighborhood boys a teacher, a coach, the best friend. That abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, that does not disqualify you. Because our God loves you. The God we worship loves you. And He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you alone. If He had, I wouldn't be here. I am His presence for you. Will you let me love on you? Will you let me be your friend? And incarnationally, you will have an impact on the lives of people who will go on to impact who knows who else out of the incredible healing that God 
is going to do a new one. So tonight, I just want to kind of bring it to a close now. And if, if we need to do this in a different way, Tim or, or somebody, let me know. Uh, but I would encourage you, those of you who held up your hands, I'm going to ask you to hold them up again in just a moment, if you would. Now, you don't have to, okay? But if you would, then I want people to, I want you, I want, I want the hands to stay up long enough so you can see somebody, some of you guys and gals in the back, so you can see somebody down here and say, okay, that's a friend of mine, or oh, I don't know him or her at all, but I kind of think I'm supposed to go pray with him. Uh, and then find a place in this room where can they kind of circulate uh, downstairs and out here and just spend some time praying with one, or, one another tonight, especially for those of you who need healing, but for anything else you need. For those of you who don't resonate with this whole disqualified thing tonight, here's a question for you to respond to if somebody says they can pray for you. Uh, Alicia, uh, Jesus is standing right here bodily, okay? Uh, Alicia, what would you have me do for you tonight? And you do not have permission to kind of ham and on. Oh, shucks, Jesus. You've, all, you've already done so much. Why? And Forrest Gump, you even gave Lieutenant Dan legs. You can't, you can't him and haw. You can't in false humility. You don't have permission to say, oh, I don't deserve anything. Because you're right, you don't. But God wants to bless you anyway. And Jesus is here tonight and says, Andrew, what would you have me do for you? And just share that. See, Tim and I are praying, and and uh, I I don't have maybe tonight. I don't have an experience of this foolishness, selfishness, and sinfulness of my own or somebody else's to pray about. But you know, tonight, uh, Tim, uh, uh, I would uh, I would like the Lord to take me deeper in prayer and fasting this year, which happens to be something I'm asking God for this year, by the way. Um, He's doing it, doggone it. Um, so just share whatever with, with it, uh, anybody. And then when you're done praying, just circulate and visit. And Paul will go to bed soon and, and stay until 3, 4 in the morning. But I, no, I don't know. What, I know you often go up early, though. Make sure to, last one out, shut the door and turn out the lights. And... Um, and, and, and let's just keep becoming a safe place for the dangerous kind. Let's just keep doing it. Because, by the way, that's just kind of fancy lingo for I want to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus was safe. And he was extremely dangerous. Well, let me just pray and bless you as you go on in your way to prayer. Uh, and thank you so much for letting me come hang out with you all tonight. You're really a fun, fun group to be with. Lord Jesus,